there, Housing News listeners. This is Clayton Collins of Housing Wire, and this is episode 13 of our first season of the Housing News Podcast. Now, episode 13, that means we only have two episodes left in our first season of Housing News, and that's really exciting for me, because when we kicked off Housing News in the spring, we thought, hey, maybe we'll do six episodes or or eight episodes and and figure it out. But the feedback was so unbelievably strong from our listeners and our guests in the industry, we decided to keep this thing going. So we're doing 15 episodes in season one. We'll be coming back to you in September to launch season two. And we're excited for Housing News to be a a long-term part of the Housing Wire, the Housing Wire family and the way we communicate with our audience. So to help more industry professionals discover the podcast, please go to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and rate us and, and give us some feedback. Uh, we, we'd love to hear your ideas and your, your, what you think about the show and, um, and give us a rating. We want everybody in the industry to, to learn about housing news, and, and that's one way to help us do that. A big thank you to our sponsor, Blend. Blend is a digital mortgage platform that streamlines the loan process with an efficient, secure, and transparent customer experience. Blend powers industry-leading teams at some of the nation's largest lenders, as well as regionally focused credit unions and community banks. Blend helps lenders process over $1 billion in loans daily, and every Blend partnership is benchmarked on delivering a truly exceptional customer experience. To learn more about Blend, visit blend.com. Now on that, let's get started with episode 13. And this week, we're excited to bring to you another extremely innovative and impactful leader from the mortgage technology industry. She is the Chief Product and Digital Officer at Black Knight. Shelly Leonard, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Clayton. Great to be here. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you. So just to give you a little background for our audience before we jump into the conversation, Shelly is responsible for defining the product and digital strategy at Black Knight. And uh, she's got a, an amazing track record of, of fulfilling that goal. Um, while I've only been at Housing Wire since 2016, Housing Wire has had a long history of, of covering the, the progress and innovation that, uh, that Shelly's been driving in the industry. She was a woman of influence in 2012, and again in 2018, she was recognized as the Housing Wire Vanguard. So we are, have the privilege of talking to one of the, the leaders in the industry today, which is, which is really exciting and, and hopefully helps guide us towards some, some really interesting parts of this conversation. Um, so uh, sorry for all the, the bragging on you, Shelly. I, I, didn't, I didn't give you a heads up on that, but uh, your, your awards kind of speak for themselves. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so w- w- once we get past the accolades here, Shelly, I, I think our audience would, would really benefit from better understanding who you are and, and your history. I, I'd love to hear your story. Can you, can you start us off with how your career got started? Yeah, happy to. Um, I'm actually a 26-year veteran in the financial services industry, specifically in technology. Um, But I came into mortgage um, about halfway through that career. Um, So I started actually straight out of college as a management trainee at Systematics, which was a financial services technology company that provided a full range of technology solutions to banks. Um, And actually, at that time, we outsourced and we ran the data center obviously before the cloud and everything else that we have today Um, and so they taught me banking from the inside out I got to do all the jobs at the bank including working in the computer operations room working on the teller line working in the check sorter uh, and they taught me technology Um, I found my passion in technology not necessarily in programming computers however but I do know know how to do that Um, so I know enough to be really dangerous when I'm having those very technical conversations 
Um, but that's where I got my passion for the industry um, and really started my career um, in the consumer loan space. So lending, but really focused on consumer loans, home equities, um, auto loans, installment loans, things of that nature, launching a, a system in that space. Um, came through that. I worked as a development manager. I helped convert many, many clients onto a system, uh, which is now part of FIS. And then um, at some point during the company history, we decided to merge the mortgage vertical that we had um, and the consumer vertical that we had into one. Should sound familiar. That happened in a lot of banks in the industry as well. Um, when we did that, I had responsibility um, for product management over all of our lending solutions uh, in the servicing space. So that's where I first was introduced into mortgage and had the opportunity to learn all the nuances of mortgage. Um, in that product management role. I moved to Jacksonville, Florida as a part of that role 15, I guess maybe 16 years ago, um, and really kind of cemented myself um, in my career in mortgage. Had the opportunity to work in a sales um, executive role where I had responsibility across the enterprise, and that's where I learned originations and settlement services and, and the role that we played at the time in title. Um, and all of those pieces of the industry in addition to servicing. So got to really broaden my experience across that customer journey. I uh, went back to managing uh, part of our business in the default space. So I got very deep in the default space and then had the opportunity to spend a little time in compliance when all the consent orders were being issued way back when um, and really um, rooted myself in the risk associated with this industry and how technology can really assist people in managing that risk. Circled full background into product again as the chief product officer um, for Black Knight about five years ago um, and then through that identified the opportunity in digital uh, and was asked to really implement our digital strategy. So I'd say I've done a lot of different jobs, all with Black Knight um, or some predecessor company that we were um, in the industry. So LPS, Altel, there's a million names. I have a lot of different badges and business cards I can show, but all really with one company. But I've done uh, a different job probably every three to five years. So I've really had a full career here at Black Knight. That's really interesting. So it sounds like your career path has has very closely mirrored a lot of the trends in the industry. Like going back to working with banks in a retail when the when I when I say the industry, the the, the mortgage industry, but when the when the mortgage product was most likely sitting inside of a a, a money center, a traditional bank, you you were working right. with those clients. Um, you transitioned to default. I'm guessing was was that around the time period when the rest of the industry started focusing on default or did you I was a little um, ahead of the curve, right? Curve. So that's okay. another good reason for me to run strategy and product for the company. Um I guess maybe I saw it coming. Um, okay. we had a set of default products that we were implementing in the market and, and enhancing in the market. So I came in a little ahead of it, but I rode out the wave um in that business unit um throughout the full default cycle. Interesting so I want to kind of come back to saw, saw it coming or, or do we, I know that you speak to some of the most uh, impactful and largest lenders in the country and your, your enterprise level clients. Were you starting to see data that was indicating a, a default cycle coming up or were you, were you hearing the feedback or, at, or getting asked the questions? How do we deal with this? What, what were some of your indicators back um, uh, pre 2007 that was giving you a feeling that it's going to be a more important area for solutions and services from a, a mortgage tech player? Yeah, I think uh, one of the benefits of Black Knight really is that we have access to a rich set of data. 
Um, so again, we're not just looking at what's happening in the default space or the servicing space. And, I, and I'll say no one knew how big it was going to be or how it was going to play out. That was a surprise to everyone. But as we were watching the market metrics relative to housing prices, um, relative to the products that were being originated, um, you know, there was a general feeling that this um, environment could only last so long, right? Um, obviously, we'd already been through the dot-com <laughs> boom uh, and bust. Um, and so we were very closely watching the metrics and then really looking at the historical pattern of, of where rates were, where unemployment levels were, um, again, what the affordability index was, and really starting to see those things start to converge when the meltdown started happening. Really interesting. So I, I know that I uh, I watched the um, the Black Knight Mortgage Monitor report, and I know like the the June report I think just came out. So is that some of the data that you're that you're referencing when you're saying absolutely, okay. absolutely. So again, obviously we get that um, access quick, and we get a lot of kind of detailed analysis around that. So in addition to providing that to the industry. Um, or to our customers at a pretty deep level for them to understand where they are relative to their peers, et cetera. We use that internally to drive our own analytics. We use it internally from our forecasting and a budgeting perspective. Um, and that gives us some, some kind of um, foresight into what potentially is coming. And then we're watching those trends and adjusting our products um, and how we're serving customers in order to address those, those issues. Okay. So I, I know you mentioned it at a, at a point in your career, you, you moved to Jacksonville and uh, you're still in Jacksonville uh, as a native Floridian myself. I, I love that. I love that you're based there. Uh, so how was, um, how was that move to Jacksonville and how does, um, how does being based in Florida kind of uh, impact your, the, the clients you serve? Is it a, um, do you, you hear a lot of people that are based in North Texas, Dallas, like yeah. we are and in Orange County. Um, what do you think of that Florida location for, for the business that you're running at Black Knight? Yeah. So um, for me, I actually moved from my hometown of Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, so it was a little bit of a separation from um, family. So, so I've got a lot of family there and I'm a born and bred Razorback. So go hogs. <laughs> um, so that's been the toughest part is I can't always get good football coverage. SEC, yes, not always playing the Razorbacks. They're usually playing Florida. That's been the hardest adjustment. But my kids were little. Um, and so they've grown up in Jacksonville as their home, which I really like. Um, so although they were not born here, they feel very much native Floridians. Um, and, and so we made the adjustment very well. Um, my husband uh, moved with me as well and was able to move with his job. So it was really a great move for us. And we really have enjoyed Jacksonville and Florida. Um, I think that being here is actually a, a good thing for us. Um, there actually is quite a bit of mortgage talent in Jacksonville. We've got some of our customers who have um, servicing operations actually here in Jacksonville. Um, TIAA Bank, which used to be Everbank, is, is headquartered here. Um, and so we're in close proximity to them as well. Um, so it gives us a lot of access to our customers as well as access um, into good servicing and origination talent um, from, from that perspective. I think the other thing that's interesting about Jacksonville is if you think about, again, those, those bubbles that end up happening within the country, right? Florida is one of those bubbles. So mm -hmm. similar to things that are happening in California, Nevada, et cetera, on the West, as well as up in the Northeast. Um, Florida has a lot of those similar characteristics. So I get to kind of feel <laughs> when properties are appreciating or when we go into a deep decline. And, and we did have challenges here, right, when the market was down. And so it's something that 
because you're in mortgage, you start to take a little personally, right? And, and if people are not happy with your industry, we all become advocates for that industry and, and really helping that end consumer and getting to see that in your own um, town is really beneficial. It's really, it's meaningful. That's awesome. So uh, one last question on your story before we jump into some, some news and start talking about what's happening in the mortgage industry. What, what have you found the most interesting part of about working in mortgage technology? What, what keeps you coming back every year that you love about this job? Yeah, it's hope. That's what I'm going to say. So, um, you know, I think that um, mortgage, the mortgage industry has been something that for a while was somewhat starved from an attention perspective. It was, um, you know, again, a part of that, that bank and, and, but it kind of just chugged along and, and really was doing its thing and it, and it didn't really get a lot of attention or a lot of love and care. Unfortunately, we got a lot of negative attention, but that did cause us to start paying attention to and then investing in mortgage. So as we started coming out of the crisis, starting to see the focus on mortgage customers and how do we make it easier for customers to um, get a mortgage and to understand a mortgage and really break down some of those um, complexities of the industry. Um, it's a very challenging industry, but it's something that people only do one, two, three times in their life. So it's scary to consumers and it's not something that is, is commonplace for them. Um, you know, even buying a car, some people do it every three years, every five years. It's something that's a little bit more um, understandable for them because they've done it a number of times. Getting a mortgage is a big commitment. Buying a home, it's so emotional because you're buying a home for your family and, and it's just got a lot of things that make it very, very important to that end consumer that as an industry, we need to understand and then we need to be able to make sure we're serving those customers understanding that. And so as we started to see the investment back into the origination space and kind of the reinvigoration of the mortgage space, it's exciting to be a part of that because you want the thing that you're passionate about to be something that your customers are passionate about and then yeah. their customers are passionate about. I think the other thing that really has invigorated me lately is the focus on how do we make mortgage more accessible how do we make it something that is easy to understand and easy to interact with? And people always say, you know, how are you going to look at your career and say you've been successful? And um, I have two nearly grown children, an 18 year old and a 20, 21 year old. Um, and I always say, I, I feel like I've been successful if I can help transform the mortgage industry and turn it into something that my kids would want to be a part of. Because right now when I tell them what I do, they roll their eyes at me and they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have anything to do with that. Right. So my own personal challenge is to make the industry something that my kids want to be a part of. I'd say the odds are relatively high that your kids find something around housing that interests them at some point. I feel like it's at least 50% of the people I talk to in this industry. That is a made up stat, but um, that their, their <laughs> parents were involved in the industry in some capacity or an aunt or an uncle. Everybody's got a, there's just so many people who came into the housing world because their parents were a realtor or a lender or yeah. did, did something in the space. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure everybody from ages uh, 12 to 22 probably said no way. I'm not going into mortgage. I'm not going into housing. That's right. <laughs> Eventually found their way there. So but we still have a chance to turn them. I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's go ahead and schedule our next podcast for five years out and we'll, we'll do, we'll do a check-in on, uh, on, on what your kids are doing. Yeah, be, right now I've got one of them that's got an okay chance. He's kind of interested in user experience, which is really important and something that we're just now figuring out how to focus on that end consumer in the mortgage space. Yep. So he's got a little bit of chance. The other one wants to go into fashion. So 
she's kind of on the outskirts at the moment, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, one thing I loved about your, your answer is it, it really seems to, to focus back in on the, the, the end consumer, the, the homeowner. And at, at Housing Wire, I mean, we serve a business professional audience, but the, our, our mission is moving markets forward with a big focus on, on, on homeownership. And, and in a similar way, Black Knight, your, your clients are, are lenders or your B2B. You're, you're selling to, to lending institutions and helping lending institutions. And, uh, and I feel like there's a trap in B2B of focusing on um, your, your client's uh, like problem or need and not their client. And That's so right. it's really like a, it, I'm starting to see like a major shift in the industry of it's not just, it's not B2B, it's, it's B2B to C or it's focusing on the, the end consumer. And, that, and I guess that's, that's the value you bring in, in mortgage technology is helping them be more impactful with the, the homeowner. So it's. Yeah. And that is something that, um, you know, again, I think, I kind of fell into as we were focused in the digital space and the first thing we were focusing on was something that was going to be provided again to our customers, but to their end customer. Um, and I found it really hard for us to think about that end customer because we are so trained to think about our customers and what's important. And I actually bought hats for my team that said, think customer and they had to wear them if they weren't you know, able to kind of shift their thinking we had a jar where, you know, like a swear jar where you had to put a quarter in there if you said the word servicer because I didn't want them to think about what yep. the servicer is because what we figured out is that if you're solving the problem for the end customer, then customer service is better, the servicer benefits, retention increases, and, you know, our customers are able to retain their customers, grow, et cetera, which then allows Black Knight to grow. So the very, you know, bottom, you can't think about what Black Knight needs, what's important to Black Knight. We have to think about what's important to our customer. And the only way to do that is think about what's important to their customer. And, and I really, that, that's resonated. And the more we've proven that and the more we've done that, and the more people are like, wow, this is really working, right? Thinking about it that way. And people think, well, how can you think about what the customer needs? What they're doing is so different. It's really not. It really isn't. And if we can make things so easy for the customer to understand, that end consumer who, again, does this one, two, three times in their life, for the person that's doing it every day, all day, we can make it that easy, that frictionless for them just by flipping those digital capabilities down into an operation, right? It's going to transform our industry, right? And it's going to make it into something that is again, fun to do and, and easier to interact with and easier to understand and, and reduce a lot of that um, complexity by, by making it simpler from a technology perspective. So I, I really do think that's, that has been a huge shift in what our customers have been talking to us about. And when we come and talk to our customers about, we are customer focused, we are, you know, we are doing design thinking based on the customer's end challenges and goals. Um, they're all very, very appreciative and, and, and excited to hear us thinking about things that way. That's really cool. So I, talking about what the customer wants, I think that's a good lead in to some of the top headlines from the week and we can uh, start, start bringing some of your insight to the, to the table here, Shelly. So um, last week, we, we actually, we know one of the things the customer does care about right now is rates. And yes. last week, uh, one of our reporters, Alcina Lloyd, who's also the producer on this podcast, um, covered an article that Freddie Mac reports mortgage rates remain at near three-year lows. Uh, the article went on to say that the 30-year rate is averaging 3.75 last week. Uh, this morning, 
I saw the, the Black Knight Mortgage Monitor. You guys echoed that 3.75 uh, exactly. So when you're out talking to your clients, Shelly, how are they thinking about rates right now? And how is this, I guess right now we can still call it a declining rate market, impacting, uh, impacting their business, both on the origination and, and servicing side? Yeah, I think that um, it comes down to one word, which is retention. Okay. And so as those rates, again, continue you know, to stay this low um, and or to even potentially drop lower, our customers are very focused on how can they retain the customers that they have today. Um, so how do they get involved as early as possible if, for example, they're going to buy a new home? Or how can they predict which customers are going to refinance so that they can be more proactive in that outreach and provide that trusted advisor services and capabilities to those customers so they don't need to go you know, onto another third party site or um, another real estate search site or something like that to identify whether they're eligible or whether it's a good thing for them from a refinance perspective. So we're hearing a lot about our customers you know, thinking about the, rate, the, the rates and where they are, making sure that they've got the right people um, at all points of contact with that borrower, have the capability to talk to them about what's best for them, right? So I don't need to wait for a customer to call me to say, hey, I'm interested in a refinance. You know, can you help with that process? I need to do outreach to my borrowers. And whether that's calling someone or it's pushing a text to them or a notification in an app or a website so I can say, hey, we've noticed rates have dropped. And based on your current rate, your current balance, your current payment amount, I know all those things about you, right? Because you're, you're my customer today. I can tell you that a refinance would be good for you and I can tell you what products we can offer you and I can help you through that process by streamlining that whole origination process. So again, keeping that customer in mind and then making sure you're bringing to them not just a mailer, you know, not something that they may get soliciting them. They may be getting a lot of those, right? Because people are pulling leads and trying to get leads from all kinds of sources, but you need to help them understand as a lender, how you can provide them better service. Again, maybe the rate's competitive, right? Because everyone's originating around that same rate, but you can help them by being able to know who they are, know what their challenges are, know what their history is with you and make that process easier for them so that they get the benefit, right? Because that's the key here is you want to make sure that those customers are actually benefiting from these refinance opportunities. So I think they're really focused on retention. I think home equity is something else that again um, is getting a lot of um, a lot of attention given the tap tapable equity near record high also in the mortgage monitor. Um, that again, based on where housing, what housing prices are doing, as well as where the rates are, we've got a great equity market. Um, and we're really starting to see a lot of our customers um, re-up in their home equity strategies uh, and make sure that they're also talking to their customers about those opportunities as well. Because maybe a refinance is not the best thing for you, but if you need to take some cash out to do a remodel or or something of that nature, you have the ability to use the equity for that as well. So we're starting to see that um, a lot as well. So we're bringing all this back to the, to the homeowner. How does this environment impact the homeowner? So the homeowner is thinking, should I refi right now? My rate's too high, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but uh, I, um, I need to talk to somebody about refinancing. I could, go to a, I could go to a portal, I could go to my community bank, I could talk to my existing lender or servicer. Um, so, so that's a decision that homeowners are making. The second is I, ha I, I'm, I may have tappable home equity. 
uh, my the housing stock in the U.S. is aging. Maybe I need a new roof. Maybe I want a new kitchen. Um, and and the and my home equity might be the the vehicle to to achieve those improvements. Now, that's so that's so that's so that's what the consumer is thinking about. And when when you're when lenders come to you, they they talk to you or they talk to somebody at, at Black Knight, and they they know what they need to achieve. They know we need to. We retention's a priority. Servicing our existing book is a priority. Um, they know that mailers may or may not be part of the solution, so that they think they know what they have to do. But I, I imagine it often comes back to now. How do I do it? So, mm -hmm. how are you advising clients, or or how how are um, your your colleagues advising clients on on where to start? How how do I achieve this objective of increasing retention? Yeah, so I think it, it comes back to um, something that, again, is not unique to the mortgage industry, but it really comes back to customer service. So again, I don't know if you've seen um, the J.D. Powers study that just came out, um, but again, there is some lack of trust um, from customers, borrowers to their servicers. Um, and so, again, we have to increase that trust. And the way to do that is by more, more touch. And I know that sounds kind of odd in an environment where we're always looking at how can we reduce costs and, and, and actually drive more automation. And people are talking about AI and we're talking about robots or you can talk to Alexa and all these things. But people do want to interact, again, on, on something that is this complicated and something they don't do very frequently um, they may not want to interact at the beginning. They may want to interact towards the end. They may want to just do things online and then they want to interact with somebody electronically. They don't feel like talking to someone or maybe they want to start talking to someone and then finish out the transaction electronically. So you have to have that full ability to communicate with the customer the way they want to be communicated when they want to be communicated with. So to me, and again, it's not just because I'm the digital officer of the company, but it does come down to this digital presence. And when I say digital, it doesn't mean that you, you just have a mobile app or that you have a website. It really means how are you thinking about how you're interacting with your customers in the way that is the best for them at that point in time. Um, and so it's going to be different for everyone. It's going to be different depending on where they are in their life cycle of originating a loan. It's going to be different for them depending on whether this is their first home or their sixth home. Um, it's going to be different for them depending on their age. It's going to be different for them depending on demographic factors. There's a ton of different things that come into play there that we as technology providers to servicers and lenders have to help them have the ability to interact with the customers that way. So when we think about the refinance example that we were just giving, we have created, um, again, a refinance simulator that allows that customer to interact with their data specifically, so they don't have to remember now, how much is my payment? Let me go look at my rate. I don't really remember what it is. Um, and, and have the ability that if they wanna go into the, the app or the web, they can interact with that calculator whenever they want. But from that perspective, then we're also capturing that information, providing that back to the lender so they can say, hey, this person's been looking at this refinance calculator three times in the last week, right? That's a good indicator that we wanna do some outreach, right? So we're leveraging data that's coming from a digital channel to help our servicers better hone in on what the needs are of those customers so they can be more interactive with their customers. So we are really trying to drive this, and I know this, again, sounds kind of counterintuitive, but into more of a high-touch environment. But the touch doesn't necessarily always have to be a human. The touch can be a text. 
The touch can be an in-app notification. It can be an email. It can be at the customer's choice, how they want to be communicated with. But that's really what it comes down to. If you have not been providing good customer service to that customer that you're servicing, the likelihood that they're going to come back to you to originate the next loan, whether it's for the purpose of a refinance or a purchase or a home equity, is much, much lower. So we really have to look at the whole journey for that customer and make sure that we're enabling all those capabilities for them throughout the entire journey. Done a really good job on the origination front, a lot of focus there, right, with all the point of sale te technology and trying to reduce friction as far as documentation you have to provide, where, where we could get it electronically and faxing things where we could upload things through our phones, all those great things that we've done on the origination side. What we're really trying to do is carry that through the full journey for that customer so that you don't have a huge drop off right after origination. This was great. It was a great experience. Now, how do I contact my servicer? Huh? I don't even know who that is. Maybe I was sold to another servicer. Maybe I originated through a correspondent. I don't even know who my servicer is. So we need to really build that relationship because we want to provide good customer service. And then that's going to open up the retention capabilities. Um, and, and, and that customer service applies regardless of where you are in the life cycle of servicing. Maybe you're a great payer, you're on auto pay, you pay every month, don't even think about it. We still need opportunities to interact with you because you're gonna forget about us, right? But maybe you're a, a slow pay or maybe you've run into some financial difficulty. We don't want you to be worried about calling us as a servicer, right? We want you to be able to interact with us, but maybe you're embarrassed, you wanna try some things on your own. We need to enable that capability for you to be able to interact with your information, understand what's what what's the best outcome for you, educate yourselves. People get scared and they they they, they just don't know what they don't know, and so they they retract. And we want to be able to provide educational opportunities, whether that's just FAQs on a website or maybe an educational video about what is escrow and why are you keeping talking to me about this escrow thing you keep sending me, right? So we just have a lot of technology available to us where we can really enhance that relationship with the customer and have it be consistent throughout the whole relationship with the customer that's really going to provide good customer service and lead to retention. So I would say all the retention tools in the world are not going to help you if you don't have great customer service from start to finish. That's really interesting. So like the, the loan, the, the home always uh, starts with the origination, but that's the shortest part of the relationship. That's right. Like the, the, the 30 year, potentially 30 year, maybe it's more like average of seven uh, relationship is with the servicer. And I will tell you my, my, the servicer on my mortgage, their website screams, I don't want to talk to you. Right. There's, there is no, um, there are no chat bots. There is, there are no calculators. There's no options to learn more about refire or, or home equity. And um, so I, I'm getting like servicer envy right now, listening to, uh, <laughs> listening to some of the other things that are out there. So how do you think, so we talked about uh, like, the origination leading the, the mortgage tech innovation. And, um, and I think that the expectations for consumer experience at the origination of a loan were, were founded by expectations of other digital experiences, whether that's their, their experience buying home products or books on, on Amazon or, um, or subscribing to Netflix, people have digital expectations and, and that's flowed into the, the origination of a loan. How do you think those, ex, are, are those expectations influencing the decisions that, that you're making in product design and um, in client uh, advisory? Um, the, are the expectations from the rest of the consumer's digital experience impacting servicing? Absolutely, 100%. Um, and it really is just, it's that whole digital expectation. And, and I really like it when people say, oh, well, it's because of millennials and millennials are where we're having to do this digital thing. It's not because of millennials. 
Now, are they digital first and that's 100% expectation? Absolutely, but I'm not a millennial. Clearly, I've been in the industry too long to be in a millennial. Um, but I have those expectations. I use ways to drive home every day. I order things off Amazon Prime. My husband say every day, maybe not every day. Every other day. Um, and again, it comes back to me and tells me, hey, Shelly, it's time to order you know, this ne next set of hair products or something. So I, I use it to manage my life. Why can't I use it to manage my mortgage? Why can't I manage it to manage my home, right? My home is the typically the largest asset that I'm gonna have in my portfolio. Why don't I have tools that helps me remember, oh, hey, you need to change your air filter, right? That would be great if I got a notification on my phone saying, hey, you need to change your air filter. And why is that important to me as a consumer? I want to maintain my home. But if you drive it back, why is it important to a servicer? Because they want you to maintain your home too, right? It is their asset as well. While you're still paying your mortgage, they've got to lean on your home. It's to their advantage if you're taking care of it. Um, it's to the advantage of the neighborhood if you're taking care, good care of it. It causes house prices to appreciate. So there's all kinds of benefits to you doing things to manage and maintain your home. So when we're thinking about the digital experience for a customer, we're not just thinking about it with the loan. We've really expanded it past that and we're thinking about it as it applies to your home as well, right? How do I understand my home? How do I understand my home as it compares to those in my neighborhood? What are the schools in my neighborhood? All those things circle around that home. And again, we used to think about it as property, but ask any homeowner, do they call their house a property? No, right? It's their home. It's where they're raising their children. It's where, you know, they're having important events. It's where they take care of the yard, their yard people. And it's very important to them. And so as their trusted advisor in that mortgage space, they want you to interact with them on that level of, as, of their home. So when we think about that customer journey, we really broaden it to not just be about the loan. While it is very important to be able to do self-service, and that's probably the biggest thing that we get from kind of their other digital experiences that they have in their life, which is I want to be able to do something and be done and tell me that it's done right then, right? I don't want to wait. I want to be able to apply my payment. I want you to be able to tell me how did it split? Um, did it advance my due date? What's my next due date? I know that it's done. Click once here and be done. I want to do that for all things I can from a self-service perspective. So we're very focused on how do we push as much of that out to the customers. And again, not to keep them from calling their servicer, but actually to allow them to self-service the things they want to and then call the servicer or, or their lender when things are important to them they want to talk to them about. Um, so giving them that option to do that. The other thing that that does is again, that automation, if the customer's doing that work, it's, it's potentially taking away work that they'd have to do in the servicing shop, or we can take those same tools that we use to automate that process with the customer and make them internal facing to the servicer. So it's one push button for that customer service agent if you call the customer service. So while we're enabling it for the customer, we're also making it much easier on the back end, which is gonna help servicers reduce their overall cost of servicing as well. So it's really a win-win from, from both sides of the transaction. Now, are there any, so with self-service, it's access to more information, better information. Are there, are there any kind of innate conflicts? And I know like if you're triggering someone to replace their air filter, that, that results in a replacing an air filter is an immediate financial transaction where somebody else is going to, or someone's going to buy a new air filter. And that's something that you really want to always, um, like if, if you're selling a product, yeah, keep that recurring revenue going with, with the mortgage. Are there, are there any scenarios where lenders are like, Self-service would be great, but it's not in my best interest right now for them to know that a, a refi is, um, that, that is, that they could save 20 basis points on, th through a refi right now. And how do you, how do you think about 
we, we know retention is a priority. We know customer experience and service is a priority. But do we face as an industry any like just conflicts and um, and and the amount of information or the ease at which transactions can be uh, completed? Yeah. And so what I would say is historically. I think if you would ask, you know, our industry, everyone would have said yes, right? Nobody wants to turn their portfolio. Um, it costs a lot to originate um, a new loan to replace something that, that, that maybe you lost or the interest that you lost. But I think that we have really turned a corner there. The reality and the understanding that information is ubiquitous and that if you're not giving it to them, they're getting it from somewhere else. I would hate for that somewhere else to be a competitor. Um, but it could just be a general source of information. So it's not that the information isn't available everywhere else because it is, you're just making it harder for them to get to. So that causes potential resentment of why is this so hard when I can just click here and do this you know, over here? Why can't my bank tell me that? And so I really think that we've gotten past that as an industry and we understand that again, it's our job as an industry to help these consumers be educated make good decisions that are good for them because ultimately that that's the, the value of the, the housing industry. We don't want to put people in houses that shouldn't be in houses. We don't want people not to be able to refinance if it's going to benefit them. We do want to enable those things. Now we do it intelligently. We make sure that we're not leading people down paths that they shouldn't be on things like that. So that rigor of being a good advisor is always still there. Um, but I do think that there's realization that this information is out there and that they, you know, again, they will find it and they will use it. Um, and so you might as well be a part of that, you know, if you can be a part of that discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. We have turned a corner. Information is ubiquitous. And if you're not servicing your clients, somebody else will. Shelly, thank you so much for your time today. R really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, lo I love the direction the conversation went. And uh, I think our listeners probably get a lot of value today. Thanks so much, Clayton. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with Housing Wire today. Awesome. Have a great day, Shelly. Thank you, everyone, for listening. A big thank you to our producer, Alcina Lloyd. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. <laughs>